For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Welcome to this live recording of Fertility Life Raft, the podcast. I am really delighted to have the marvellous Vanessa Hay on this morning. We are recording live with some of my members again. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure to see you again, Vanessa. The last time I saw you was at that amazing event in London, which was just last month, wasn't it, in October? I feel like it was longer than that. But yeah, if it was, yes, that was the last time we... I think that was the last time we saw each other, but the first time we'd met in person. Exactly, the first and last. The last yeah. I don't know it was a moment I know what you're trying to say (laughs) (laughs) it was a moment whatever it was it really was because I actually I mean I've known of you Vanessa for a long time obviously you've been advocating and writing about fertility and everything that goes with it for quite a long time now and doing some amazing work um so I've known about you we've had a few messages um but that was the first time we met and I have to say and I said this in my email this morning to remind people that we were doing this recording I was like Vanessa's amazing she's an advocate she's a writer she's a speaker speaks so well um and also gives the best hugs ever (laughs) (laughs) you gathered me up in this lovely hug and I was like oh I have missed live events so much just for that connection. That really- you know what? I hate the fact because I, I am a hugger, by the way. So thank you for um, validating the fact that I try my best. I'm very, very intentional with my hugs. And because of COVID and we're kind of finally past that phase, because I'm a hugger, I have to say to people, firstly, I'm a hugger and I hug well. So just letting you know, because boundaries, isn't it? Like people are still you know is it what's the word shielding I can't even remember what the word is but oh yeah Ooh, all that um, language that I just don't oh, brings out the shivers but yeah I love that you have to kind of <laughs> by the way I'm a hugger I'm gonna hug yeah, you I am a hugger yeah. yeah but yeah I loved it and I it, but it all what it does I think is it kind of instantly brings you into a completely new realm with someone and I, I actually I'm bringing it up because I do feel like there was just this instant like right no she's she's my kind of lady I can Aww. get on board I can get on board with a lady who gives me a massive hug um this there's a delivery guy waving at me through the window I'm like yes hello I won't be connecting with you right now <laughs> so no Vanessa enough of, enough of me walking around I really wanted to have you on for lots and lots of reasons number mm-hmm. one I think, you know, the fact that you are taking up space 
um, and have been now, um, and I mean that in a really positive way, taking up space and um, sharing your story so um, bravely, so honestly, and so powerfully. I really wanted to ask you, well, first of all, do you, do you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us first about how? Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you for the lovely introduction. It really helps to start things off well, because I think that the hardest thing in a weird way is when somebody says, tell me a bit about yourself, or introduce yourself, you're like, oh yeah, who am I? Awkward. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for the introduction. Um, so where do I start? So as Alice has said, hi everybody, Millie and Hannah. Um, and thank you for joining us. I'm Vanessa Hay, and I would describe myself at the moment because life is always evolving and changing. Um, I will definitely say my experience, which I'll talk you through, has kind of propelled me into where I am now. So I'd say I'm a writer, a speaker and a woman's women's health advocate and the reason why I've chosen women's health words carefully is because when it came to my fertility journey and the fact that I've had losses along the way I realized the bigger picture so you, you would be familiar with her um Alice uh, Regina Regina Townsend brown yeah. broken egg lady yeah. yeah she's got this really really um powerful saying that infertility is and I say this carefully because I have children now and I know that's not everybody everybody else's eventuality sometimes but infertility is bigger than babies and what I mean by that is even beyond having my children I realized that I needed to take my women's my health more seriously there were I was always diagnosed with unexpected unexpected not unexpected what was it called unexplained Unexplained. unexplained thank you shows how I was diagnosed with unexplained fertility so I'll kind of go talk you through that in a moment and um I always call it unexplored fertility um and that's the reason why I thought actually the babies the children are here and I'm grateful and I feel blessed about that but there are things that I need to look into because I'm sure there were there was stuff there was stuff hanging in the balance that may have been causing this situation so that's the reason why I say I'm a women's health advocate in terms of my journey it started soon after I got married so my current husband Andrew call him Drew we met in university in 2005 oh gosh we've been together for a long time and we got married <laughs> we were young so we it took a while for us to kind of move forward so we got married in 2014 and straight away we I, I'm a Christian so we tried to abstain <laughs> from sexual intercourse um, but so as soon as we obviously got married, we, we were open to the fact that we wanted children and we wanted to, I use the word not um, start a family, but we were open to growing our family. I like to use those words. And uh, I came off the pill six months after being on it. It wasn't really working for me. And the fact that I wasn't on it for a long time, I found it strange that my periods were very sparse or more or less non-existent. So we're now into 2015 um, and I haven't had a period for nine months. I've looked into it and they've said, right, your progesterone's low, but everything else is okay based on the tests that we've done, hence unexplored um, infertility. Mm -hmm. So um, there's no reason why you shouldn't get pregnant. We're gonna put you on Clomid and see if that helps to jumpstart ovulation, get you pregnant, you should be fine. And at this point I'm 27, 28 years old. So they're thinking I'm a spring chicken, shouldn't be any issue. Well, um, six, six to nine months down the line. So we're now towards the end of 2015, still no periods. I think even with taking Clomid, it still hadn't helped me to even ovulate, let alone get pregnant. 
So at that point, I remember sitting in my GP's office and he sat down, kind of leaned back like this and said, there isn't any reason why you shouldn't be able to get pregnant, but you're not. So we're just going to, you know, escalate this and, you know, choose a fertility clinic. I'm local to Leicester, so I chose my local clinic in Leicester and they said, yep, yeah, on your bike, there you go, let them help you. So 2016 now, I think it is, um, they've told me that because I, you know how it works with criteria, well, if I, I assume that people be will, um, I'm obviously married, don't have any children from previous relationships, they say that I'm entitled to, in my, in my area, it was one full funded cycle of IVF and three IUIs. Before I could go on to that, they said, can you do nine more months of Clomid? I could have screened, but you know, when you want a baby, you just do what you have to do. So I said, yep, yeah, fine. Nine months later, still none of those cycles of Clomid helped me. So we're now in about, yeah, we're now towards the latter part of 2016. I had an IUI um, and that, I'm trying to remember what happened. It was a textbook cycle. Everything worked out well, but we didn't get pregnant. And I remember at this point being feeling exhausted mentally, physically, and saying, look, I know I have two more free cycles of IUIs, but I just want to go straight on to IVF because you know how when you're so desperate, you do all the research. So I'm researching, finding out that IUI cycles are more or less similar to natural conception, to which, if I'm correct, the chances of getting pregnant each cycle for natural conception is 10%. So I'm thinking there is no hope for me. If I try and do this two times over and it's not successful, I think I will break down. So I said, look, I want to go straight over to IVF. I remember the nurse saying to me, if you do that, remember you only have one fresh cycle. So if that isn't successful, you can't go back to the goals that you've missed. That's it. And I said, I'm willing to take that risk. So started IVF in September, 2016, um again I was fortunate enough to have quite textbook cycles so a collection collected quite a few eggs um quite a few mature were mature fertilized ended up with I think it was six embryos and you know how they're so really specific like oh these are gorgeous looking embryos that <laughs> meant nothing to me I, I, that meant nothing to me but that's okay I'll, I'll take that and um I had a transfer in I think it was the reason why I always remember my transfer date or my yeah I think my transfer date was it was a couple of days after Trump became president oh, in fact my egg my egg collection was on Trump's Trump's winning election day and then obviously a couple of days later I did the transfer it was successful but unfortunately resulted in early miscarriage mm -hmm. or what they say a biochemical pregnancy mm -hmm. um and I was just, again, obviously this is now two, three years in. Mm -hmm. So I was just desperate to move forwards. So I needed to wait for a couple of cycles for my period to get come back. And that's awful for somebody who has irregular periods. I was praying that I would get a cycle. It did come. So April, 2017, I did my second frozen embryo transfer cycle. And that was a double transfer because of what happened the first cycle. And that resulted in my now my first son, who's five next year, Sebastian. It was successful, but apparently it started off as a twin pregnancy and we lost one. That's, that's what they said, because my, my uh, results were so high, but I had really bad bleeding and still have this thriving four-year-old ships loving son. So yeah, 
I guess, I guess something happened along the way, but I'll take it for what it is. It was a successful cycle. Mm. Um, so that was 2018. He was born, sorry, he was born in 2018 in February. And I guess life started to feel normal again. You know, after so many years of trying, life started, life started to feel normal again. Um, you know, was enjoying motherhood. And then about 18 months after I fell pregnant. Sorry, not that word. I'm, I'm very, very um, intentional about my language. Sorry. So I didn't fall pregnant, but I conceived naturally mm-hmm. in September 20. No, it was it September 2019. It wasn't September 2019. I think it was August 2019. And that pregnancy ended up being an ectopic, um, which was, I thought infertility was hard, mm. but under, you know, under the nice recommendations or whatever recommendations I think an ectopic is seen as a type of miscarriage mm. but it's not the same care pathway so it was traumatic in the fact that because my tube had ruptured because the baby was apparently nine weeks and um, sorry I need to put the trigger warning out there um it ruptured and I nearly lost my life but thankfully I'm still here but I my my tube was removed that was the only way that it, I could survive and you know, babies don't thrive in ectopic pregnancies. And so that was really, really difficult. Um, and it was just before lockdown. So all the services that I would have needed to check on my general health afterwards, get mental health support, they were all closed following that. So I, I guess 2020 and 2021 were very difficult. Twenty, Sorry, 2019 and 2020 were very, very difficult years. But um, I guess I just focused on writing I didn't I didn't mention that after I had Sebastian my first child that's when I started my writing my advocacy work Mm -hmm. and that's why I really respect and value people that aren't afraid to tell the truth Mm -hmm. and share their journeys even whilst there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel I very much wanted to do everything in hindsight because I just wasn't brave enough Mm -hmm. um but because I started writing in 2018 and after I had ectopic pregnancy I was already kind of in the flow of being this advocate and the person that was sharing so obviously maybe a couple of months after having the ectopic I informed my followers and people that I you know share with on my blog about what happened uh anyway so 2020 obviously there's nothing to say about it because we were all stuck at home uh Mm -hmm. Towards the end of 2020, um, I'd gone through, I was back to, it felt like a full circle moment. I was back to no periods at all. Um, GPs were speculating, my GP brother was speculating that it was because the stress from the topic pregnancy, but I felt something wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it checked out. And then I was finally diagnosed with something that I felt like I've had for years. And I think was contributing to infertility all this time. I was di- diagnosed with PCOS in November 2020. And um the reason why I'm passionate about women's health is because there was no help out there because GPs were closed. I'm still on the list to be referred to a gynecology service. But within that time, I thought, what can I do for myself? And I was just researching about foods, diets, exercise. Um, I had a very short term veggie diet from like November 2020 until February 2021 when I found out that with one tube and PCOS, I was pregnant naturally mm-hmm. um like I said I am a believer and I honestly feel like that was just a miracle from God I, I can't even tell you now mm. how that worked but I, well that's now my one-year-old son he was born on um 
on Friday and definitely um, came with a bang. <laughs> um, Elysian, my one-year-old, that's where we are now. We have two beautiful boys and I continue to do the work. I'm, I understand some people may want to move forward with maybe not doing the advocacy, the writing, but I think because I felt quite alone, I realized that there was a gap in support when it comes to the intricacies of everybody's journey. I, I feel like I felt compelled to continue to kind of spread that message of hope. And so, you know, two, two boys down the line, I'm still doing the work as much as I can, obviously from a different place and my message is slightly different, but I guess this is why I'm on, on here today as well. So that is my story. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's there's so I was scribbling away there as you were chatting. So there's so much I want to kind of you know explore with you a little bit because I think there's um, a lot that comes up. Uh, you know everything that you went through. I mean, yeah, the, the the fact that you're so intentional with your language is so helpful because I think there's a huge problem, isn't there, with language mm. that is used in the fertility world, both from professionals and from people who don't understand, but also people who are in it, who are just, we're so conditioned to use the language that we've been taught that we're not, we, we don't recognize the impact that it can have. What can you, can you talk to me a little bit more about why you're so intentional with your language? Yeah, um, and thank you for acknowledging that, Millie and everybody else um, that's acknowledged that. The reason why I'm so intentional is because we the words that you hear a lot in this space is taboos and um breaking the silence and i think a lot of there's a lot of things that can contribute to um the taboo and just the what's the word that i'm looking for it's not really coming but there's a lot of things that contribute to that the silence around infertility and the journey itself and it's things it's the words that we use they carry a lot of weight so Something that I learned along the way is there was a point in time when me and my husband, I think it was after our first failed cycle of IUI. Well, there was only one cycle anyway, because that's what I chose. But the, yeah, the, the failed cycle of IUI, my husband and I was so down, so depressed. And I thought, how much more, how much more can we do this? And I remember I sat down on the bed with my husband and I said, look, I said, if this ends up, if this marriage ends up only being us two, then so be it, because we are a family. And that's the reason why I had to become intentional about saying that we're not starting a family. Because what if I had to bear in mind, at some point in my journey, I had to bear in mind that this family may only be me and Drew. And what that what happens is if we, we ended up being fortunate so if we ended up being fortunate and not saying that always oh, um rather than saying we're um we're throwing our family and starting a family and that was a message that was put to somebody else who is still very much on the thick of that journey that's what they that's what people internalize the reason why there's a shame is because people are internalizing this message that you are not a family until you have the children you have the babies oh. I'm, I'm sitting here like, going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's so true. And we don't even realize how much we're internalizing and actually giving you that power back and just taking a little step back and going, okay, let me just think about the language I'm using and how impactful it, it is. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't still desperately want to have children. It just means that you are also recognizing that you are absolutely a family before absolutely. anything like that does happen or, or whatever is going to happen and I love that you kind of had that moment of just going do you know what if this is it we're a family yeah 
And I don't mean to, it's easy, I, I have to caveat because I want to be careful and I want to acknowledge that there are, you know, there are people on here that are probably nowhere near the journey or, or they're still in the early part of their journey or however they perceive it. So it's easy for me to say that. And I, I acknowledge that what's the best word to use? I may be speaking from a, a place of privilege, but it's also important for me to for me to say that during my journey, that was a learning point. The learning point was actually, where is this shame coming from? Is it the fact that there's an expectation? Well, 100% is, particularly in my community, mm-hmm. Black communities, where we, and I think all communities, but Black communities, we're heavily pronatalist. But on the other hand, it, it was just the fact that if I, if I allowed people to think that we aren't a family until we have these children, then it wasn't going to make me make us as a couple feel any any better about ourselves. Because let's be honest, even dare I say this, there are there are people that will have families, and somewhere down the line, something happens. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got so, so 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 the way you look at a family or a nuclear family has to change, and that was the reason why I became so intentional about my language, and I still am, even with two two children. Yes, and that's absolutely. Thank you for that, and I think the. the the just caveating is important isn't it because we just acknowledge that everybody is not only on different journeys but internally are at different stages with what they're taking from what's happening as well and that learning you know I mean we we, the the life of membership is a a sort of self-development membership so we're always kind of it's a very open-minded place which is why I love it Um, but you know everyone here do listen to the podcast are here to to go okay let's let's hear it from people who have found ways through this terrible time which has given something something of meaning something um to hang on to even if things are not going the way that they want them to go um now you mentioned there around in your communities and black communities there's this stigma still that is partly from what i understand has driven you as well to your advocacy and to your um writing where are we at now? Like over the last few years, there's been so much um, more conversation around black communities and different communities across the, the world, across the country. Where are we at now with fertility representation then? Oh, that's a tricky question. I'll try my best to answer it, Alice. <laughs> I would say that and I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's down to me, but that I'm definitely seeing more women of colour speaking out, not necessarily just black women. I'm talking um, women from Asian communities, um, the LGBTQ communities. You know, there's, I think generally speaking, representation is much better. And I'll be honest and say, within my platform, through my writing, through my speaking, people will sometimes say, oh, you know, why is the focus on, why is my focus? on the black communities and I, I I am firm in saying this I can only speak on what is true to my lived experience I cannot speak on behalf of the LGBT community because that isn't my experience or that isn't an intersection that I identify with I am a black woman and a Christian woman and all of those aspects of who I am my identity because we we very much inform how we see things the lens the lens of how we live and experience infertility is largely in part but largely based on how we identify ourselves so I can only speak in the reality of my lived experience and if I'm talking back to I spoke spoke about my journey and the fact that it started around 
2015. And at the time, no word of a lie, I was on Instagram and a lot of the accounts were mainly white accounts. And if anything, I can't, there was nothing wrong with that. In fact, I was inspired by the bravery of these women who would show their identities and say, look, this is, and, and, and show the, the, you know, the, the, the bum bullets or whatever you call them, every, everything. And I kind of, I, there was a, there was a sadness of if only I came from a community that were able to share, but we, there's so much we have to uphold, you know, from, for an example, even from a Christian aspect, not even necessarily my color of skin. I was speaking to, I'm not Catholic. I'm, I come from a, um, well, a Pentecostal church background, but I was speaking to Catholics, not necessarily black Catholic, all Catholics that would say, we can't even utter the word IVF mm. because we believe that people believe that we're choosing God if mm. we're going through IVF. Mm. But when I'm dealing with, when I'm dealing with that layer of intersection, plus being a, a black woman who, you know, there is an expectation that we grow our families and it's, it's just, you know, there's a threat to the family line. If we do it, there's not necessarily a, uh, what's the word? It's, it's not seen as a glamorous thing if we're choosing motherhood on a solo premise because all of the, I think it's, it's very much down to, um, from a societal level, how much we have to, it's that, it's that what's the word? Identity politics a lot of the decisions that we make are based on identity politics. So it's all of those things, we're making decisions based on upholding all of those values from how we see ourselves and how, how the world see ourselves. So I could only speak my truth in that lens. I couldn't do it for anybody else. And things have definitely gotten better. What I would say is now kind of coming through and being a different part of that journey, I will always do the work for my community. But what's bigger is the fact that at the at the at the essence or the crux of the journey of infertility is a woman and a man or a couple or individuals who want to grow their family and the, the underlying message behind my advocacy work is to help those people essentially but what I do know is that because we are visual human beings whoever is that person that's reading my blog or reading an article and seeing my face if it happens to be a black couple or black individuals at least they can identify so I know that the work is still being done, regardless of, of how the message is put forward. Yes. Does that answer your question? Yes. I mean, yeah. I feel like I could talk to you for hours on this, but I'm really conscious of the of how long we have. But absolutely. And I think, you know, I've heard you speak so, so well as well on the, you know, representation within the health, within healthcare settings and the issues that are there. And that we have to and that's that's why your work matters so so much Vanessa and like just coming on these podcasts keeping writing your blog you know you've got you've had a lot of press in the past all of that and making sure that everyone feels seen and can identify with you is part of that change and part of the of the of the um yeah the change that will come from the to, you know the grassroots shift in healthcare yeah. hopefully it's interesting because somebody I was at I was in um Paris <laughs> I was in Paris random I was in Paris it was it was a business trip and I had a friend and she's a, a dual heritage lady she's half British half English half Gambian so she's mixed race black and white and she said to me what what was it like what was behind when you started off what was behind the whole this is what I've been through as a black woman and I said 
the way that I always say it, and I think I, I mentioned this when I was speaking on the, the, the panel that we met each other at, is it's the same boat, the, the journey and the experience of infertility is the same boat, but it's a different storm, essentially. So how we experience it is different based on our surroundings, external forces, how we've wrote. So, that, so no one is diminishing anybody's experience. But let's be honest, we live in a world where, like I said, identity, there's so many identities, so many different experiences. And naturally, because of that, people will experience things differently. So there was, I felt like at the very beginning when there wasn't much representation, if I was writing an article, I had to say um, how it, what it's like to do egg freezing as a black woman. But the reason why the ending of that article said as a black woman is, 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 is making the point that there isn't any articles that are representing a black woman. So I'm putting it out there until we get to a time and slowly but surely we are where it's normalized and it's normal to see uh, a black woman, a Muslim woman, uh, LGBTQ couple, then we don't need to necessarily put that on there. It will probably just say our experience having IVF. But for now, that's been mentioned and that's put on there very loud and clear because it's kind of saying what we need to know that actually there aren't stories out there that are representing the different types of patients and people going through this experience that affects everybody, regardless of color, skin, religion, sexual orientation. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And the same boat, different storms is the perfect analogy, isn't it? Particularly for the life raft, because we are literally on a life raft here, going oh. through the storm. Navigating oh, I like this metaphorical like, analogy. Like a very odd brand there. Definitely on sink. <laughs> Um, I think there was also something I really wanted to ask you more around, and that was around your faith, not mm. just, you know, that intersection you mentioned around being a black woman and also the difficulty of talking to Catholics around IVF and what how, mm. how that is, but also what it has given you, you know, what 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 has your faith, how has your faith supported you through your journey? Mm. I would say my faith has been a massive, massive part of my journey, probably the, the primary thing. Um, put it this way. I am not here to spread a message and say, you need to believe in Jesus, whatever it is. But everybody, if you think about it this way, simply put, everybody has something that they look to. Some Somebody might look at zodiac signs or crystals, charging crystals, whatever it is. People even believe in the power. <laughs> are, are you that girl? Um, <laughs> um, people believe in the power of a manifestations or the law of attraction. If you look at it simplistically, it's that higher power. I'm specific in saying I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, and but it's it's that essence of the higher power, like leaving it to the fate of what life gives essentially. And so for me, that included reading my Bible and let's a lot of these books that we read, if I'm being honest with you, Alice. So um the law of attraction, a lot of a lot of those stuff in there is actually based on biblical principle, believe it or not. Most of the life coaches, you're, you're in coaching, so you probably acknowledge this, a lot of the principles of how we deal with things and how we think about things and mindfulness, and I know that you're big on that, a lot of them actually, if you look, if you kind of go deeper, it's based on those principles, essentially. So for me, it was about the reading, the praying, and that definitely helped me. And like I said, let's be honest, I feel that I have had too many miraculous experiences 
to not believe in God. And I, I will say to, to speak of my topic, so trigger warning again, no word of light, Alice, I should not be here. I should not be here. I, I had, you know, our fallopian tubes are tiny and I had a, a nine week old fetus or whatever it'd be described as if I'm not going to go into the whole personhood thing, but a fetus that is trying to thrive in a tiny tube and it had ruptured. And I remember going into the hospital and a Spanish, I'm not good at accents, so I'm not going to try, a Spanish consultant <laughs> saying, you should be upstairs. Like, what are you doing here? And I remember when it started to get really painful and I, I heard the registrar because at a certain point when you have to go for surgery, they have to talk to you about the risks. They're telling you to sign. They're talking about the risk of death. And I remember them saying, why are we sitting on her? She needs to be in theatre now. Because I had that much blood in my in my 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 uterus so the point I'm making here is experiences like that is what makes me think I have been given another chance it sounds like over the top it's not compared to people that have had cancer but in in in, it was still a life-threatening situation and the same thing with Elysian my second son this is something I I conceived easier with one tube and a PCOS diagnosis I remember when I got diagnosed they said right okay so here here it is this ultrasound that you did in November has confirmed that you're so you've got one one tube so it was almost like I couldn't win on one hand on my left side I had a fully functioning left ovary but no tube and a fully fully functioning well a fully functioning right tube but a blocked right ovary <clears throat> somehow I, I, I became pregnant three months after this diagnosis with a tube mm. and that remember I'm I'm coming from a place of having unexplained infertility where there shouldn't have been any reason why I shouldn't get pregnant but didn't get pregnant but in the circumstance I just explained all reasons I shouldn't have been pregnant and I, I did get pregnant and had it was a difficult pregnancy but gave birth to a, a healthy boy so it's it's those things that I look at those anecdotes that I look at and think that it strengthens my faith more that there is a God that that was helping me essentially. But like I said, I am sensitive to the fact that some people for, for many reasons will not necessarily identify with that way of how do I get through this journey? But essentially I think there's a certain point in the fertility journey or in infertility journey that you are looking for that source and that higher power to kind of give you that guidance and hope that everything will align, everything will be okay. And for me, that was God, essentially. So again, I've kind of gone a long way around, but it's because I'm, yeah. I think, yeah, I thank you so much for that. And, you know, as I say, what we do in the life raft is, you know, we I, I am very much here to help and support people. And I encourage them to find their own thing. You mentioned, you said it so beautifully, everyone has something they look to. So whatever that is that you look to that gives you what your faith gives you and how that supports you, that's the thing that you go to. And that's the thing that is your, that is part of your life raft and that you continue to, you know, stock up your life raft supplies, as I, as I like to say. So for you, that's reading your bible for you that's you know going to church mm. probably you know being surrounded by all the people that have the similar um views and beliefs as you do and the fact that you're able you know to use that and just to put it down for a moment and to give it over i think that was the, what you were saying there is to, to sort of almost just go okay i'm giving over the irony actually alice is whilst i say this i could be completely contradicting myself now is <laughs> I, the challenges were the fact that particularly in a church setting, that's where you get 
the, the pushback and people will say something like well maybe it's not meant to be maybe God doesn't want you to have children or you'll have people that will say are you praying enough are you fasting enough or have you committed a sin that's probably punishing you and I go further by saying the reason why that strengthened my faith is because I felt like I got to know God in a different way you know so we have a we, we, we believe in this God that you know is creator of all things and kind of decides and, and this and that but it, it kind of challenged my faith in a way that I need to know God as a, a a protector or someone who's looking after me or even in what felt like extreme suffering still had my back so so this that I, I, I believe that there's a difference in being spiritual and being religious religion, yeah. religion can be very doctrinous and very one way of thinking and you know a bit kind of square so I'm saying that it changed my perception of God and who he is because I, I, I kind of had to move from no like God isn't God isn't transactional in the fact that oh because maybe because I've been a bad person in my life that this is why it's happening because let's be honest you have drug dealers us we, all of us that have been through fertility will say how did that person that's taken drugs or has been drinking to oblivion have a healthy baby and how am I, who is, you know, having beetroot juice and fries on my transfer days? Why am I still struggling? And this is the reason why I thought, actually, that's that's why we shouldn't be so square in our thinking. Like, my faith isn't transactional. I don't. I had to look at God from a different point of view. Of it, I don't have to do X, Y, Z, and then finally He gives me my present. Like, I've had I've had to believe that God is good because He's good, mm. even when things don't go the way that I wanted to. So, yes, church believers religion can also be quite counterproductive but it helped me to go one step further in like finding out who God was for me particularly yeah. in that journey love that thank you so much for that that difference of like getting to know for you getting to yeah, know God yeah. in a different way that that transaction idea of like it's not a transactional thing it's not quite as literal and it is it's taking that one step further and exactly what we do in life is continual self-development and really exploring this stuff that comes up all the time right so you have these questions you're like yeah it mean then if this isn't happening what does it mean if this isn't happening then that and, and in, instead of going well then that means you know he doesn't exist or higher power doesn't exist or whatever perhaps it's that there's more to uncover perhaps there's more conversations to be had mm, whatever mm. it is you know? and people listening to this who are like what you know this is <laughs> where are we going here but I think that it's such a fascinating conversation to have because so many people I speak to who have been through fertility you know either have a faith and I, are you I'm quite intentional with my language too and um, I think using the word faith is helpful because it it speaks to people in all different religions, you know, whether you're um, uh, spiritual or you go to, um, you know, you're Muslim or whatever it is. If you have a faith, it's this idea of having something around you which is supporting you. I think actually Fern Cotton talks really well on this with her book, Bigger Than Us, which I actually haven't um, read. It's on my list, Fern. Not that you'll ever um, probably hear this, but... Um, you know, she speaks of the the idea of just exploring this 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 mm. idea that there is a, a higher power, and for her, it's in a, a different way. But it's um, and I've spoken with a really good friend of mine before. Actually, I know we're on a time here, but I'm going to just say it quickly. that's okay. Just go with the flow. Okay, um, a really good friend um, who is a Christian, and we have had so many interesting conversations. You know, I'm not, but we've had so many interesting conversations around this, and we share 
a lot of similar thoughts and views and you know we have an amazing we have amazing conversations around it and I think that's that's what I love to encourage here it's just that open dialogue you know and exploring and hearing from people what what their faith has given them or what is in their life raft you know that supports them and you know as you say that's something to look to I think is a really really nice way of putting it yeah thank you thanks for understanding and and seeing yeah Always, always. I mean, I honestly, I could go on and on with this because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, but we we will another time. I'm going to meet you for a, a nice glass of wine, maybe one day. And uh... <laughs> like I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> and we can explore further. Um, just to, so to to kind of yeah, see see where we are now with everything that you've kind of taken from your journey, everything that you've learned, everything that has come from it. What do you hope to see in the future? Something that I want to see in terms of change is access. Like through my work, I, I say this really carefully because I'm comparing this to like our American advocates who have spoken about remortgaging their houses, paying like trying, praying that the insurance will cover one cycle. And meanwhile, there's some people that have gone through it 12 times and God knows how they've been able to, to fund or, or cover it. So, but I... But let's be honest, we, we still have our challenges. So I do I do hope that access becomes better. We speak a lot about the postcode lottery. And I was gobsmacked when I heard, I think it was somewhere in Scotland, that there's some people that are getting like three free funded fresh cycles of IVF and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I guess from an access kind of view and just availability, I hope that there can be more that's put. Because I, I find it strange how there's a lot of... Um, tabloids that talk about the fact that there's um the during those couple of months ago there was something around women are having children later and um the population or something's going down and people are worried I'm just thinking at the same time I still feel like in some respects the fertility is really underfunded um and I think I think more could be put towards it and I, I I'm talking about this more from the health point of view so before we get to this stage of realizing something's not quite right and I, I don't know why I can't get pregnant our children it's the education around what could be contributing to that so very early education and awareness around how we can advocate for realizing that oh I'm having irregular periods could it be PCOS helping people to identify you know when they need to be going to a doctor or a GP something that really irked me was I had to kind of lie or, or almost or almost rush myself to say yes we're ready for babies because if that wasn't the case the GP basically said come back to me when you're ready to start a family but it was like but why why are we treating contributing diseases or issues according to reproduction why can't they just be treated so I just I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there's a more joined up treatment framework when it's so remember going back to this whole thing about women's health this is why I'm passionate about it mm. it just needs to be a bit more of a joined up framework around women just advocating for their their health full stop as opposed to saying come back to me when I have when you're ready to start start or try for a family that re was really annoying and in some respects it was a blessing in disguise that I had to kind of say, yep, yeah, we're ready to have a family because we, we, we kind of were open to it. But I, I just felt, how about somebody who is completely frightened and so not ready 
about the prospect of having children, but would have to kind of almost pretend just for the sake of getting things seen to. Like that's that's just wrong. It doesn't sound right. It's, it's almost quite unethical, if I'm being honest with you. I think, well, exactly as you say, the joined up thinking, uh, Lucy's saying there in the chat that I um, totally agree with access, financing and health awareness. It's a huge stress on top of an already stressful situation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why does it take until we get to the point where we're ready to say we want to have children? For I mean, I was the same. I had irregular periods forever, you know, since they started when I was 13. I never, ever mm. had a regular period. So why on earth was I not having that conversation, you know, at 14, 15 and going and having a, a just a sensible conversation about why I had a regular period, yeah. you know, they were really irregular. So obviously there was something going on, but, you know, we, we were just told to take the pill and get on with it. And that's what I was told anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Lots of issues were treated with the pill. And from, I, I'm, I'm hearing that a lot of the issues that we have now were actually caused by what was supposed to treat us, the pill. Mm. So yeah so much that needs to be well that's the thing I mean I for me I think you're absolutely right you know the access and the conversation just women's health in general has been um you know there's a, a huge uh issue with funding that and creating a normal conversation about it when we're in school so that people understand what is normal what is not normal how to get pregnant and you know what happens when things do go wrong so that you have the support in place I mean for me what I want to see is is more support as well you know when you do find that you're you know going through an ectopic or going through a um, fertility treatment just that mental health well-being support should be accessible to everybody and it should just be normal that you access it instead of people struggling and you know going through it by themselves and being connected having a network of people is so um life-changing really because it's you know, something else I'd like to see more and I'm, I'm sure you know Millie's Hannah Sarah everybody who's listening today that really touched me was I feel like Jennifer Aniston changed the game on how we talk about fertility I admire the fact that even though she's done it and she deserves to and she's got every right to be ready to speak about it when she wanted to however many years later based on how long it was going on for. I like the fact that she's definitely opened up. There have been people doing the work, but I like the fact that she's opened up as a celebrity, the conversation around actually the denouement of infertility might not always end with a baby. And again, I'm ending by saying this carefully because I feel fortunate and blessed and happy that mine has, but... I want to, I, I hope and pray that we see more of that people that are saying, I think there's even an article that I'm yet to read. So I think it's, I can't remember who it's by, but I know that it was written by an American journalist. I'll try and find it and send it to you so you can share it with your, your network. Thank but you. this article about these five ladies. Um, yes, yes, I've seen that. yes. I have. So have you noticed that ever since Jennifer Aniston, people are now opening that conversation of actually, what about the eventuality where you've been through all of this and you might not, have a baby my my hope is actually when you think about it and you think about all the options that should hopefully start to get normalized there is kind of you can more or less get there if you're open to adopting but let's be honest there are some people that might not be they might want their biological baby and in that respect that's where the conversation around what if that doesn't happen I do wonder if that conversation continues to continues to move forward how it might change I can't even fathom how frightening it would be to to even start to think what if that is my eventuality I don't I don't even want to go there 
Well, you know what, there's something, you know, I do talk about that. And even though there's like lots of coaches and lots of mindset people will, won't do it because they think that it anyway, for whatever reason, they won't do it. I've yeah. had lots of people actually on our, on the podcast who talk with, so Kat Brown, um, yes. who has been on, who is amazing, um, Mind Body Revival Coach. So Aisha, she's fantastic. Yep. She's come on and, and talked about that with me before. And, you know, I do speak to it as well on my, on my thing, because I feel like if we're, if we don't at least put it out there and just have it as something that is is a possibility it makes it so much more scary you know and actually fear becomes much bigger when we don't simply just sit down with it and have Mm. a conversation about it and just say okay let's just put that on the table and let's think about what that would look like and how that feels you know and um because it can be terrifying and overwhelming and hideous and I've been there myself I just that the fear was 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 horrendous so I really think that you're so right the fact that she's opening the conversation and Jennifer Aniston is amazing we love her anyway but the fact that she's been able to finally say it from and I just kind of thought well thank god she's been able to have a, a her own say finally after all these years of the speculation and the questions and the comments that she must have had to deal with over that time when she was going through IVF um yeah. it must have been horrific so you know the thing is what I will say is she started the conversation, but I think there would be a, without diminishing the, the um, influence and the impact is what I'm looking for. It's had, I think there would be greater impact with someone who is normal. And I'll tell you why, because motherhood as a journey, or if I have to say so myself, seen as a destination is very much associated with purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, a billionaire as she is and might that even if it might not mean anything to I imagine that because of her purpose and where she's up in the world in terms of influence who knows that that might have made it easier for her to talk about it I think that's a really interesting topic yeah to to speak with and I think that yeah the fact that she has had such an incredible life on so many levels and the fact that she's so clearly connected. I mean, what we, I mean, oh God, I'm looking at the time here, but, but you know, what I love to support people with is that connection to their, their true selves, their core, their soul, everything that like, when you're connected to that, which she looks like she really is. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. There's definitely a connectedness there. She's so like, she's just so Jennifer. You know, she's, Let's so be Jennifer. she's, Jen- she's Jennifer. And like I said, because of this intrinsic, association and link between parenthood motherhood and purpose Mm -hmm. because her purpose is also very much affiliated with how well she's done in her acting not everybody who wakes up is has that no of course perception of success so what I'm basically saying is someone like myself or yourself or anybody else who's kind of doing the work that is not as big big deal as her yeah, yeah, yeah. if they speak about it I, I think it would put I potentially think it could be more relatable yeah. because how how do you see purpose yeah. if you don't have a child but you're still living in the normal world doing your nine to five compared to an actress who yeah. like I said I can't imagine that it still would have been painful regardless of who she is it definitely was painful but actually there could yeah, be things there yeah. yeah completely and I, but I, what I think I, I'm saying is that, that I think of course she's a, like an extreme example <laughs> of you know living this like incredible purpose and being herself but there are much you know there are, there are micro examples of finding meaning and purpose yes. daily yes. which I think is so 
vital to redirecting your mindset when you're going yes. to the facility yeah. so when yeah. we are when we shift the narrative that you know you're worthy when you become a mother or your life has meaning and purpose once you have a baby once we start to reclaim that and say actually I'm um, I, I'm purposeful as I am right now here today you know listen to this podcast I have meaning and purpose in my life now you know that's when we start to shift actually that disassociation between that's what you get once you have a child you know yeah. Yeah. Um, of course it shifts as you said right at the beginning you know life is always evolving and you're always evolving and that's absolutely right so mm. um, but yes yeah, so as I say I could sh- I could talk to you for hours but we need to <laughs> wrap up um, thank you so much and really just saying in the chat there about when you were sharing your story gosh how moving and your words about faith so beautifully put and I completely agree um, and yeah Lucy was saying totally think the language is so important also love the growing, growing rather than starting a family 100% mm. um, yeah so just big thanks to everyone who could join us live today mm. Vanessa thank you so so much where can people find you if they're listening oh where can people find me so on Instagram Vanessa Hay H-A-Y-E no S on the end um, on Twitter which I'd say I'm more kind of connected when I'm writing articles. There's a presence, but not as big presence as Instagram. It's, the handle is, it's Vanessa Hay. I'll write it in the chat before I go. Um, and then on my, if you want to read my articles and my blog, which has been quite stagnant at the moment, but I'm trying to resurrect it soon. Um, no religious puns there. <laughs> um, everything's quite metaphorical. And there's quite a few puns in this chat. That is vanessahay.com um slash blog or just go on to vanessahay.com and you'll find my articles my portfolio and please just wanted to say I have a kind of open door policy that I'm welcome for people to message me in my chats if you want to have a chat it might take not quite a while it might take a while to get back to me because I'm trying to kind of you know keep up with everything but I do yeah if you want to have a chat or you want to email me I will get back to you I'd love to speak to you but thank you so much um Millie Hannah Sarah um Alice for joining me it's been amazing thank you so much it's been an absolute honor to have you and a a privilege so thank you Vanessa so so much I'm just literally writing my um handle in the chat yeah yeah in the chat so (laughs) so IG oh I spelt my name wrong that's not a good start at Vanessa Hay That was an amazing conversation with Vanessa. Um, Thank you so much um, for tuning in and listening to Fertility Life Raft. I really love that we have conversations that span all manner of topics and it it feels very freeing to just um, explore, as as Vanessa was saying, you know, take it that step further, keep taking that step further and see what comes up, you know, and if anything ever feels difficult when you're listening to these um podcasts if anything ever feels um triggering or anything please do reach out um to me this is alice rose on instagram or come to my website and have a look at what i can do to support you um in your mindset and self-development um and also go and take a look at vanessa's writing it's fantastic um but sending out all of the love as ever thank you to my life rough members who could join us live if you are listening to this and you have taken something from it if you found it interesting please do share this podcast with people that you know um that people that you don't know screenshot it pop it and Instagram let's keep the conversation going um and do leave us a review as well that is 
really super, super helpful. I'm really proud. And do you know what? I'm so proud of how many reviews we've got. It's pretty good. I think we're on about 250 or something like that, um, which is mega. So a massive thank you to you if you have left one for me. And if you haven't yet, please do go and do, do, do your good deed for the day. Um, all right. I'm going to love you and leave you. Sending out all of the love as ever. Take care. Lots of love.